So we started a discourse on Sunday on understanding and fulfilling your marketplace calling. So we've spoken extensively about the understanding part. And so tonight we're going to be focusing on the fulfilling aspect. Because the title of the message makes two promises. That is understanding and fulfilling your marketplace calling. Because you cannot fulfill something you don't understand. And I want to believe that there was a greater... I, be, I want to believe that there was light shed on Sunday as regards the topic of God's call upon our lives. Tonight I want us to start out by opening our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 1. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to just look at the screen. Praise God. But if you have a Bible, I would encourage you, even if you're using a device or a printed page, right? I want you to mark this place in your Bible. I want you to mark it. I want you to mark it. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 1. I want us to read it together in concert. One to go. But now, thus says the Lord that created you, O Jacob, and he that formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have what? Called you by name. You are what? You are mine. You are mine. You are mine. <laughs> you are mine. I want us to pay close attention to the words being used here. It says, I have called you by name and you are mine. It didn't say, I'm going to call you. It says, I have. And that's why he told us in church on Sunday that there are certain prayers that if you pray, it will never be answered. There are certain questions that if you ask, God is not just, just, just God is just going to be silent. It's going to be silent. So the question of, am I called? Is <laughs> a question that has been answered in scripture, so it may never be answered. It says, I've called you. How do I know that it wasn't just um, Isaiah, right, that was being spoken of here, or a particular person, number one? Because the Bible says the things that were written at four times, they were written for our learning. Right, that's the first reason. The second reason is because the Bible says here, it says, fear not for I have redeemed you. I have redeemed you. What does it mean to be redeemed? Redemption is not even a religious word. Do you know that? Redemption is a financial term. It simply means to buy back what was originally yours. So when man fell, you see, before man fell, man did not need redemption. It was after man fell that there was a need for redemption. And you see, the only way that God could buy man back, right, was through the shedding of blood. Through the shedding of blood. So what God did on Calvary's cross through his son Jesus was not just a spiritual affair. It was also a transaction that took place. So, how do I know he wasn't just speaking to Isaiah here? Because Isaiah operated under the old covenant. And Jesus had not yet died while Isaiah was alive. So, this scripture was written for you and I. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's for you and I. It says he has redeemed us. Now, why did he redeem you? Because of the calling that is upon your life. It says I have redeemed you. Fear not for everything. That word for can be replaced with because. He says, don't be afraid because I've redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. So the reason why we are redeemed, right, we need to understand that the moment you are redeemed, there is a calling on your life. It is not something you pray for. Everybody has a call of God upon their life. And that's why I made the correction on Sunday that when people, you know, ask questions like, you know, they see a pastor or, uh, and they say, you know, when they greet you, they say, how is the family? They say, how is the ministry? Don't question. The fact that that question is even being asked simply means those actually don't have a full understanding of scripture. The real ministers are the believers who come to be equipped. The work of the ministry is done by the church members, not by the pulpiteers. Are you hearing what I'm saying tonight? Because the Bible tells us that he gave gifts unto men. I think that should be Ephesians, maybe chapter 4, chapter 5. He says he gave men, he gave men as gifts. He said he gave some to be prophets, some to be evangelists. He said some to be pastors, some to be teachers. He says for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. 
So the reason why the saints are equipped is so that they can do the work of the ministry. So the work of the ministry is not really the work of the pastor in a sense. It's the work of the temple. So maybe the appropriate question to ask is how is the work of the temple? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because what is ministry? Ministry simply means meeting needs. In simple terms, without watering it down. Ministry is why you see that the Bible says concerning Jesus. The Bible says he went about doing good. Healing all that were oppressed of the devil. And you remember that he told us in Mark chapter 16 when he was going to be caught up into heaven. He said going to all the world. <laughs> and he said that we should preach the gospel to, the old, to, the, uh, to all the nations of the earth. He says he that believes on me says this sign shall follow them. He says they will cast out demons. He wasn't speaking to pastors. He says they will speak with other tongues. He says if they take anything deadly. He says that it will not affect them. If they lay hands on the sick, they will be healed. Those were the things that Jesus said will be the experience of the believer, not the preacher. Is somebody hearing what I'm saying tonight? And the Bible says that Jesus went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. And that's what the Bible says in Romans 8 and verse 29. It says that he has sent his son Jesus so that we might have a picture of what, what the father wants us to look like. He says so that we might be conformed to the image of his son. That's why God sent Jesus. Not just to redeem us. Not just so that we can go to heaven. But so that we can see a template of what the father wants our lives to be like. It's a life of victory. A life of dominion. Is somebody hearing what I'm saying tonight? And if the Bible says that Jesus went about doing good. Meeting the needs of men. It is what every believer is supposed to rise up to. We all have the capacity. It's on our inside. Do you know that on, on the inside of every man here right now. Uh, there is six packs. <laughs> even though some have one full pack <laughs> but on the inside of everybody there is six packs it is there, the muzzle that you need to build everything is there, but it is not going to appear by default there are certain things you need to do same thing with our calling it's not just going, it's not just going to be fulfilled by itself it's there, but the fulfillment is not automatic just like I said to us in church on Sunday you see how far you go in the fulfillment of your destiny is not determined by God. It's determined by you. It's not determined by God. Apostle Paul said, I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. He said that there is a lake for me. A crown awaits me. How many people will be able to say that before they exit the earth? That they have finished everything God called them to do. How many people will be able to say, I've written all the books God told me to write? Huh? I've preached all the message God told me to preach. I've reached, I've helped all the people God wanted me to help. Hmm. How many people will be able to say that? That I've made all the money God wants me to make. I believe God, you know God wants you to make money. How many of us know that? And let me tell you, the money you are not making, others are making it. Because nature abhors a vacuum. How many people will be able to say of the truth, God gave me the capacity to be a billionaire and I did not settle at the level of being a multi-millionaire? I believe, you know, there are some people that, you see, especially if you notice that you are an individual that has passion for starting things, especially businesses, and making money is easy. It could be a calling. And some of those people, there is a calling on them to finance kingdom agenda. Making money just comes easy to them. And somebody hear what I'm saying tonight, but I don't want to delve into that. We'll talk about that some other time. And we also saw in the life of Moses, how the Bible tells us that God called him. There was a burning bush. God was attractional, right? Moses was already used to the wilderness. So God didn't just call him out of the wilderness. God had to do something that would get his attention. But I believe he had gotten to a point in his life where he didn't even want to think about anything that had to do with calling anymore. Because this was a guy that had the sense of that call at the age of 40. And he tried to carry it out. And he ended up losing royalty because of it. So if God had just appeared to him, Moses, Moses, go back. Even when God wanted to send him, he was, he was trying to dodge it. He said, I cannot speak. God said, I will be with your mouth. He said, ah, what is your name? He said, I am that I am. He said, see, I don't know what to say. He said, send your brother. Go let him go with you if, um, by the name of Aaron. He was trying to dodge it. He had that sense. He knew he was meant to be an emancipator of God's people. That thing was already there. That's what the Bible tells us in Romans, I think, eleven twenty-nine. It says the gifts and the calling of God they are without repentance. Whatever God has put in your heart to do, He's not going to change His mind about it. It's there and it will always be there. 
And when the Bible says they are without repentance, it doesn't mean God is repenting from his sin. It simply means repentance. The true meaning of repentance is to change your mind. To change your mind. That's why when people, you know, say they repent from something, it's not about crying. It's not about the shedding of tears. A man can have a stone cold face and yet be more repentant than the man that is shedding tears. Because the man that shed tears, a gallon of tears, the next day, he has gone back to what he said he's not going to do. But the man who seems to be stone cold at it, in his mind, he's just thinking, why did I do this? I shouldn't have done this. God expects more from me. He's making decisions. And so the next day, even when there is an opportunity for him to do that thing, he decides not to do it. That is repentance. Is somebody hearing what I'm saying? For a very long time, the church has confused emotions with true repentance. Someone, oh, <laughs> they say, ah, this one, this one is truly saved. It might just be emotions. It might just be emotions. That's why one of the things I try to do, you know, I think maybe this is even the first time I'll be saying it publicly. One of the things I try to do is, when I want to talk about teach and give people understanding of, on giving, we don't talk about people giving at that particular point in church. So that people will not give out of emotions. People give out of understanding, not emotions. You know, there are people that can preach you excited. And at that point, just remove everything, remove everything. This is why you get them, just like, ah, what did I do? <laughs> Not kind of giving most times doesn't come with rewards. Because it was born out of emotion. I remember my pastor was telling me sometimes back how somebody, you know, came to, you know, minister in their church. And he said, ah, when he saw the way some people, what they were doing, he said, after the program, he said, he called some of them. He said, and gave them back what they gave. He said, because I know you. So what you gave, I know the person that preached is very close to me. Is I know you gave out of emotion. Now, if I give you back and after one month, you see if God is telling you to give it ahead, then it is out of understanding. So we need to understand that when God says that the gift and the calling upon our lives are without repentance, he's not talking about you know sin, he's talking about the fact that God is not going to change his mind about it. You can change your mind about God's call on your life, but God is not going to change his mind about it. He's not going to change his mind, he's not going to change his mind. And we need to understand that God is still in the business of calling men. He called Adam in the Garden of Eden. He called Samuel as a young boy. He called Abraham out of his father's house. He called Moses in the burning bush. He called Esther into the palace. And he's calling men today. And just like we already established, the calling of God is not always dramatic like that of Paul. Like that of Paul the Apostle. Paul was on his way to destroy the church that he was meant to be building. And the Bible says there was a light from heaven. <laughs> and Paul fell from his horse. And he asked, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? <laughs> you know. So, there are some people who believe that for you to be called of God, something must be dramatic. You must hear, my son, my son. And there must be thunder everywhere. <laughs> but the Bible even tells us that when God was speaking to Elijah, there was the spectacular. And the Bible says God was not in it. Only in a still small voice. Now, does God speak through the spectacular? Yes. But it's the one that decides. You see, one of the things you need to understand as a believer is stop seeking for the spectacular. You know why? The devil can manifest the spectacular. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Many people try to look for the spectacular. Things that seem, ha, if it's something happened, oh, it's happening, it's happening. You know, let God be the one to decide how to move, not you. People say, God, I go to sleep tonight. I want to see in my dream. You see, the devil can hear what you are saying. He can move things in the realm of the spirit and make you dream. And just believe, ah, God has revealed himself to me in a dream. No, the devil also gives people dreams. I hope you know. He does. He does. So you need to be careful. Let God say, everyone that had a spectacular call, they were not the ones that told God to call them that way. When John the Beloved writes, when they ostracized him and he was on the island of Patmos and he saw the book of Revelation, he was not the one that said, God, let them send me to the island of Patmos and let me see Revelation. He was not the one that prayed for it. So there are some of us that there are things that God has placed in your heart. There is this deep desire, this hudge, this longing. You know that there is something driving toward you towards this thing. But you are not, you are saying, I'm not sure if it is God because I've not heard the voice. <laughs> you know there are some people when they want to get married to say God has not told me you want to hear a voice my son my son marry her before she escaped thee <laughs> that's what you want to hear <laughs> you know 
I want to have a dream like, you know, I went to the well, we were fetching water. I don't know why they always go to the well. Why, why don't you see faucets? Huh? If somebody comes to you with that kind of a dream as a woman, as you will suffer. <laughs> he did not see pumping machine. His well is in. It means you will fetch water and do laundry. Eh? <laughs> Praise the Lord. So the calling of God is not always dramatic. We need to understand that it is not revocable. That he is not going to change his mind about it. And you also need to understand that you don't determine your calling. You discover it. You don't determine your calling. You discover it. And a couple of other things we said. Let me just keep that. And I said that every believer has a twofold calling. Number one is the kingdom call. The kingdom call. And number two is the marketplace calling. Number one is a kingdom call, and number two is the marketplace call. And we said that the call, the kingdom call upon every believer is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And I debunked the mindset on Sunday that some people will say things like, you know, even though I cannot reach out to people, but my money is doing it. Jesus never said anything like that. It's it's unscriptural. Your money should be involved in the gospel, rightfully so, but your mouth should also be involved in it. You don't need to travel somewhere to reach out to someone. There are people lost on your streets. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You see, do you know at times, even taking public transport could be a privilege. Because it gives you opportunity to meet some people you will not meet when you enter some level of comfort. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You know, there was a day, I think recently, maybe two weeks ago, you know, I, I wanted to rush, to, so I decided to take public transport. So I sat beside the man at the back seat, very old man, and he was preaching in the car. You know, I was impressed. You know, I knew that man was going to preach, so, you know, when they wanted to start, I said, no, 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 I'm going to pay for two people. This man needs to be comfortable in his space. I was impressed. I was impressed. You know, and I just told myself, I said, wow, we need to do this. You know, some of us who believe we have gotten to a level, you have become so posh, so tush that you cannot preach it. You believe that preaching in a boss is what is meant for people at the lowest long of the ladder. Of the ladder. You are missing it. I hear what I, Let me tell you this. The reason why it is not attractive to you is because of the way some people have been doing it. You can do it in a better way. You know, we spoke about the fact that there is a book we want to release sometimes next month. Out to show, and you know, I looked at, I just looked at, do, did a quick scan. Of many people's faces in the bus. And I realized that a lot of these people, it also is on their face. You know, imagine going into that kind of a bus. You know, because it was while we are in transit, I was thinking about it. And I just calculated, okay, from Ikeja to Ogba is 100 Naira. How many people does the bus speak? 18 people. Was it 16? I don't know. That did calculate. I think it was between 16 and 18. But it's not up to 20 people. So I just said, you know what? With 2,000, you can catch the attention of all those people. You just tell the bus driver, don't collect money from anybody. You know, and as you just open yourself, good afternoon or good evening, I've paid for everybody. Everybody will listen to what you have to say. And you just distribute books to everybody. You see, there is a way. You don't have to start out by saying, brothers and sisters, Jesus is coming. If you don't receive Jesus, you'll perish. The reason why you don't want to do it is because that's what you have always heard. And you make them understand that your struggle can come to an end. And you tell them, you say, I can't tell you everything you need to know, but it is in this book. But guess what? Jesus is the number one thing. You think they won't listen to you? You have preached to 20 people with 2,000 hours. So this idea of, me, I can't preach the gospel, you see, it is a call. That calling is upon everybody. The moment, just like we already saw in Isaiah 43 and verse 1, it says, I've redeemed you and I've called you. The reason why he redeemed you, the cardinal purpose is so that you can be an instrument to redeem others. To redeem other people. To redeem other people. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You see, you are going to give account of that to your neighbor. Right? That is obviously lost. But you just didn't care about your salvation. You are going to give account. You are going to give an account. Are you hearing what I'm saying tonight? Another way you can express the kingdom calling is to spend time in the place of prayers. Praying for the lost. Praying for the lost. Are you hearing what I'm saying tonight? Praying for the lost. That's what the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Right now, chapter 2, verse 3 to verse 4. 1 Timothy 2, verse 3 to 4. It says, God will have all men saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It will have all men saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It will have all men. You see, one of the things I've come to understand is this. Everything God tells us to do, ultimately we are the beneficiary of it. You see, some of you, when you talk about preaching the gospel to people, maybe one-on-one, doing it in a public transport. The truth is, we are scared to death. Like, ha, there are so many questions on your heart. 
What if they don't listen? They will. You are stuck together. See, you get to the hear what I'm saying. You are stuck. Even if they pretend they are not hearing, they are hearing. And let me tell you, when you do the strategy I just told you, they will listen. Everybody will even turn back. Who is that? <laughs> they want to listen. And you see, one of the ways you can also do it before you do it, pray. Not in the bus, before you leave your house. You know, I've told us several times, if you are praying too much in the public to effect things, it's because the prayer is lacking in private. When Jesus stood before the tomb of Lazarus, he didn't say, God, God, let Lazarus wake up. He only said, Lazarus, come forth. Because he has spent all night praying. What many people would want to do is, what they should have done in secret, they want to do it in public. So, when they don't want to cast out a demon, you are not sure whether they are the one casting out the demon or is the demon casting them out. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So spend time praying. Pray for the lost. Pray for the unsaved. Pray for people who seem, you know, you know that those people, yes, they love God, but they are not stable. Spend time mentioning their names in the place of prayers. Pray for them. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Pray for them. You know, I remember sometimes, you know, many times uh, a while back, you know, when we're still much younger than this, I remember some folks came up to me then and said, Pastor, we should have a prayer department in the Gateway Church. I said, no problem. I said, but we will not have. He said, no, every church has a prayer department. I said, there is no way. I said, show me in the Bible where they said you should have a prayer department. I said, prayer should not be a department. It's the responsibility of every believer to be praying. So it can't be a department. And when we started the daily prayer thing, I was on the lookout for some of those people because the conversation was a long time ago. They never, some of them never joined once. So I knew it's not that they really wanted to pray. Because if you really wanted to pray, now there is opportunity to pray. For 90 days. And one day or two days we didn't join. Hmm. Praise the Lord. So please understand this. The first calling we all have is a kingdom call. It's a kingdom call. The second is a marketplace call. Marketplace call. Understand this as a business person, as a career person. You have a call in the marketplace. You have a call in the marketplace. Matthew 5. The Bible says in verse 13. It says you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. It says, but if the salt has lost its favor, savor shall it be salted. He said, it is good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden on the foot of men. You see, why is it that sometimes it seems as if the world doesn't want to care about what a believer has to say? The answer is, yeah. The Bible says you are the light of the world. He says, the moment you lose your savor, you are meant to be thrown out and cast, you know, trodden on the foot. So when you don't rise up to your call as a believer to be salt and light in the marketplace, you will be despised in the marketplace. Let me tell you this. It is wrong for a believer to be in an industry and for you to be lost in the crowd. It's not right. You know, some people see, you know, when they say someone may be a believer succeeding in the marketplace in a specific industry, they say, wow, that person is... That should be the common thing. That should be the normal are you hearing what I'm saying? The Bible tells us that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and who? Did any one of them fail in business? You see, you even need to understand that Abraham was not a priest. So when the Bible says that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it wasn't saying the God of preachers. He's the God of businessmen. God of people in the marketplace. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Praise the Lord. So we need to understand that. We have the marketplace calling. We have the marketplace calling. You have been called to be out. You have been called to be light. You have been called to influence industries, cultures, and policies. Not to be influenced by it. That's why sometimes the city, some laws, you know, are made that, you know, <laughs> instead of effecting changes, it seems as if it is afflicting the people. One of the major problems we have in our own countries because we don't have enough believers who have an understanding of their calling in the marketplace. You see people like Mordecai. Mordecai was a gate man. You see, when eventually God, uh, you know, turned everything around in his favor, and Aman was hanged on the same, you know, is, was it Garris or Gallows, right, where he was supposed to be hung. The Bible says that when he took the place of Aman, he changed the decrees. He changed the decree that Aman had made. What does that mean? He changed the policy that was against God's own people. But unfortunately, a lot of people are so impoverished mentally that when they get into places of influence, into places of policy, what they are thinking of, of is me, myself, and I. Me, myself, and I. 
And that's where the problem is. You see people like Daniel. You see people like, you know, Joseph. These were people that influenced policies. These were people that influenced governments. So as a believer, you need to understand that you are not in the marketplace to keep body and soul together. If you are alive, your body and soul is already together. There's no point keeping it together. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There's a call upon your life to have significance in the marketplace. It's a call. It's not an option. As a believer, you should do well in business. As a believer, you should do well in your career. You shouldn't be the one the boss is concerned about. You shouldn't be the one that is on the list of about to be fired employees. You know there are some people that no matter how bad things are in the business, or if a particular part of the business is about to shut down, they will rather create another business and put you there, even when they don't know yet what you are going to be doing. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So you have a marketplace calling. You have a marketplace calling. That's why the Bible says that he has made you the head. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 13. If a member of this house, you know that scripture by heart now. He says he has made you the head and not the tail. Above what? Above only. And you shall not be beneath. He says if you are acting unto the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, to observe and to do them. To observe and to do them. The Bible tells us in Revelations 11 and verse 15. It says, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And it shall reign forever and ever. Did you see that? God's goal, God's agenda is that you and I will get into industries, get into spheres of influence and make it the kingdom of God. I've told us that there is a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is when a sphere of influence, right, is being influenced by biblical principles and values. Then the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of God is in that place. The kingdom of heaven is a location. The kingdom of God is a way, is a lifestyle. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And the Bible says that that time shall come that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and His Christ. And His Christ. And it's Christ. So it is possible that as believers, you see, that will say, you know what, in the next 10 years, we want to take over specific industries. It is possible. That's why we already said, I think it was in the Life Master class a couple of weeks ago, I said that one of the mistakes, oh no, I think that was last year, that one of the mistakes you can make as a believer is to go into the marketplace without a specific agenda. Making money is not a strong enough agenda. Because the moment you make enough, you will lose your steam and passion. The moment you are able to drive a good car, you are comfortable, you have your own house, you have some investments, you know, you have consistent income, you will just lose your passion. But when there is a big purpose, when there is a bigger agenda, when there is an understanding that this thing is a calling, it is a responsibility, it's not an option for me, then you never run out of steam. You never run out of steam. So what are the practical steps we can take to fulfill our calling? Our marketplace calling right and our kingdom calling number one is total dependence number one is total dependence number one is total dependence hmm. you need to understand this that you must be totally dependent on your caller if you will ever fulfill your calling is somebody hearing what i'm saying tonight you must be totally dependent on your caller the mistake many people make is i've been discovered that there is a call of god upon their life <laughs> you know that's why you know there are pastors that don't pray I believe you know that. Okay, you don't know that. I'm telling you. Because you can get to a point just feel, <laughs> you know, you can fall so much in love with the work of the ministry or the work of God that you forget the God of the work. It's very possible. And a lot of people also do that. Not only preachers. As a business person, every time you get involved in a particular aspect of business, you want to initiate something and you don't involve God. What you are doing is you have left your collar. And there is a dimension to which you will never rise to. Let me tell you this. God will never commit something into your hands that you can execute without him. Never. Never. He says, without me, you can do nothing. Now, the question is, those that don't have him, are they doing some things? Yes. But in comparison to what he really wants to do through your life, it is nothing. It is nothing. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It is nothing. John 15 and verse 5. It says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. It says, he that abides in me and I in him, the same will bring forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. In Psalms 41 and um, Psalms 42 and verse 1. It says, as the earth pants after the water brooks, so 
my soul pants after you, O God. So my soul pants after you. So my soul pants after you. So as a business person, as a career person, as a believer in general, you need to understand that whatever it is that God has committed into your hands, whatever it is that you set out to do, if you are ever going to fulfill it, the first step is total dependence. You must learn to rely on God. <laughs> Not relying on men. Human beings are fickle. You know, at times I've seen a lot of people do. You know why a lot of people get bitter in life? Because they help people so that people can help them. It doesn't work. God is your source. Human beings are simply channels. You see, you don't do things because we expect people to do it to you. You do it because maybe God just laid it in your heart. Or maybe because it's the right thing to do. The fact that you help someone doesn't mean they will help you. The reason people get bitter and frustrated ah, after everything I've done for him, after everything, they now did this, they now did that. Don't depend on men. You will never fulfill your calling by depending on, your, on men. You see, the part that is even dangerous is don't depend on yourself. You are too weak to carry the weight of your calling. That's why when people get to a level in life and they begin to rise, they go into diabolical stops. Because now they begin to realize that I can't do this thing by myself. So some people walk up to them because they can see that they're already crushing under the weight of their own success. So I want to invite you for a meeting. We have it every Friday. Ah, oh, really? Let's meet at the club. They tell you it's a club. And really, you get there, it's a club. It's just that it gets to a time and the atmosphere just changes. I begin to hear some chants. But you have already started. You can't just walk out now. Because they have told you juicy things. There's a movie I watched some minutes ago. I can't even remember the title. You know, some people just imagine, some people just assume that, you know, it's only in Africa that occultism. Uh, right? That people get involved in the occultic. <laughs> really? Satan is Satan everywhere. There is no white version of Satan. And there is no black version. <laughs> there is no brown version. There is no Indian version of Satan. Satan is Satan. He only moves people in different ways. So don't even depend on yourself. Don't depend on men. Don't depend on self. You are too weak to undo the thing God wants to do through you. You are too weak. You are too weak. Are you hearing what I'm saying? <laughs> you see, you might not understand what I'm saying until you get to some dimension of lifting. Obviously, I want it. You know, the moment you begin to, you want to do something, and the only thing you are, and God is not in your thoughts. You know, the Bible says, a fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Some of us will say, yeah, now how can I say that there is no God? You are saying it every time you don't involve in him something you want to do. Somebody brings a contract to you, it sounds so juicy. You didn't even talk to God about it. It's like, ah! How can somebody miss this kind of opportunity? Bring it, bring it. Where should I sign? <laughs> you sign. You have simply said there is no God. Because if you believe there is a God, you will involve him. You will involve. I learned something from one of my mentors years ago. He said he does not give an immediate answer, response to anything you ask him. He says, ah, can we do this now? I said, I'll get back to you. He said, even when he has the answer, he will always get back to you. And I've realized that every time I've given, given an immediate response, I always regret it. Well, ah, why not? Try it on. We can do it. We can do it. <laughs> I always regret it. So I had to learn it the other way. Ah, I'll get back to you. Praise the Lord. So saying I get back to you, it's not like you are going on top of the mountain and saying, oh, go, oh, show me, show me, show me. You see, if you are truly in sync with God, it might just be in the, you might just be doing your normal business. And you just have that peace that this is something I should go into. And if it is not the way God wants you to go, you just realize that you will just lose your peace. Just lose your... The peace you had yesterday, you just wonder, what is wrong with me? You just lose your peace. So number one is total dependence. Number two is deep spirituality. Deep spirituality. Deep spirituality. I want us to see something in Genesis 44 and verse 15. Genesis chapter 44 and verse 15. Remember the life master class early this year, I think it was in January or February. I was talking to us about the same thing, about deep spirituality. How to take over in the marketplace, you must be deeply spiritual. And I told us about the fact that when Joseph, after he had interpreted the dream of the Pharaoh, the Bible tells us that Pharaoh, right, gave to Joseph, the daughter of the priest of Hon, the daughter of a spiritual man. I don't want to go into too much of that. But look at what Joseph said here. 
in verse 15. The Bible says, And Joseph said unto them, Now this was when um, he planted his cup, right, in the stuffs of his brothers, and his servants eventually found it in Benjamin's stuff. And now said, the Bible says that, And Joseph said unto them, When they say, Oh, we didn't steal the cup and all those things. The Bible says, Joseph said unto them, What is this that you have done? Don't you know that a man such as I can certainly divine? What do you think that means? It means a man, what he was trying to tell them, because Egypt was an occultic center. You say, Pharaohs. Why do you think they never buried Pharaohs? They don't bury Pharaohs. They mummify them because they believe they are not normal human beings. That's all the Egyptian history. They don't bury their Pharaohs. They mummify them. And you see, the Bible tells us that Joseph was next in line to Pharaoh. So, Joseph in Egypt had only two choices. To become deeply occultic or to become deeply spiritual in line with the Jewish culture, in line with the God of Abraham. And so, this is what he was trying to say here. That don't you know a man such as I am, that is, at this my level, do you think I'm an ordinary man? Is somebody hearing what I'm saying? You see, there are so many of us who are praying to God, how God lifts me. God lifts me. Lift up my. You see, God knows that most times you don't know what you are praying about. He knows. Because at the level you are now, to fast one time in a week is a problem. It's a problem. He knows that the challenges that come with that kind of lifting, you don't have the capacity for it. You don't have to come. Okay, look at someone like Daniel. The Bible says that when Daniel began to rise, he began to rise. The other governors, they ganged up against him. Ah, why is this guy just rising? You see, nobody notices a fruit that is not ripe. Haven't you noticed? Have you seen anybody throwing stones at unripe fruits? No, it is when the fruit becomes ripe that people throw stones at it. The moment you begin to ripen, your destiny becomes ripe. Stones will come. If you don't have the capacity to undo the stones spiritually, they will drop you off the tree. So they came after Daniel. But Daniel was someone that was deeply spiritual. He still maintained the spiritual practices. Such that when he was thrown into the lion's den. The Bible says the lion did not scratch him. Some would have thought, oh, maybe the lions were not hungry that day. <laughs> so the king too must have put it with us. He said, throw the other guys and their family members. Found for you to know that it wasn't that the lions were not hungry. The Bible says before they touched the ground, the lions broke them in pieces. It was because the lions saw something. They saw in Daniel the likeness of their creator. Because when Darius got to the, um, uh, to the lions then, he said, Daniel, the God whom you serve, has he been able to deliver you? It simply means even Darius knew that Daniel was a deeply spiritual man. The people in your industry, do, you know, they don't, do they know you are spiritual? Many of us are trying to cover up our spirituality. You don't know that's your advantage. It's your advantage you are trying to cover up. It's your advantage you are trying to ignore. When you play at their field, you will lose to them. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Hmm. Deep spirituality. That's what the Bible says in Romans 8 and verse 6. It says, for to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. It's life and peace. Man is a spirit. And the calling given to him is a spiritual tax. So please understand this. You cannot fulfill a spiritual tax being in the flesh. You can't. You can't. What does it mean to be deeply spiritual? It simply means that you are able to distinctively hear and follow the leadings of the Holy Spirit. Because when people are ah, deeply spiritual, it means God, God bless you. <laughs> you are very spooky. <laughs> Some people, that's why it means to be spiritual. You don't smile. I'm serious. People greet you say, good afternoon. God bless you. God bless you. <laughs> that's, not what it to be. that's not what it means to be spiritual. To be spiritual simply means you can hear what God is saying per time. You can hear what He's saying. You are able to hear what He's saying to you. And it also means you are empowered to subdue the forces of darkness on the path of your calling. You have the power. That's why Jesus said in Luke 10 and verse 19, He says, I've given you the power to trample upon snakes and scorpions and to overcome all, not some, all the power of the enemy. It says that nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. In Luke 24 and verse 29, it says, Behold, I send the promise of my God. It says, But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power 
from on high. So even Jesus knew that the tax he had committed into his disciples' hands, they can't fulfill it without power. The disciples weren't just waiting because they had nothing else to do in the upper room. They weren't just waiting because they were jobless. They were waiting on God to receive the power needed for them to do the tax, the calling that God had committed into their hands. That's why Psalm 63 and verse 3 also says, Through the greatness of your power shall your enemies submit unto you. It simply means enemies don't submit by power. They submit through the greatness of power. Psalm 63 and verse 66 and verse 3. Can media help us with that so that we can see it? Psalm 63. Psalm 66. Why do I keep saying 63? 66 and verse 3. It sounds like a tongue twister. <laughs> Psalm 66 and verse 3. Say unto them, Terrible are you in your works. Through the greatness of your power shall what? Your enemies submit themselves unto you. And in case somebody says, Ah, me, as a new creation believer, me, I don't have enemies. You know, I've always taught us that you should read the, the full book, books, right? Written by Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was the one that God used to explain new creation realities. Like the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and all those things. But the same Apostle Paul, look at what he said in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 9. Let's see that. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 9. All of us read it together. One to go. For a great door and effectual is opened unto me. And what? There are what? Many simply means there are more than one. The greater the door, the greater the opportunity God brings your way, the more the adversary. And you say, you can't negotiate with adversaries. Is it that you crush them or you are crushed? On the path to your calling, on the path to the fulfillment of destiny. Number three, feeling the calling of God upon our lives, a marketplace calling, is discernment. Discernment. Somebody say discernment. Discernment. What does it mean to have discernment? It simply means you are sensitive. You are sensitive to the kind of people, the kind of spirits that the people you are dealing with, the kind of spirits they carry. It simply means you don't just judge a book by its cover. You don't just see things by your five senses. It simply means you are able to see beyond the natural. You are able to see beyond what is told you. You are able to see beyond what you are able to hear beyond what you are hearing. That's discernment. That's the, discernment simply means being able to say, and when people hear things like discernment, they think it's something meant only for maybe pastors. Now let's say, you know, I sense there is the spirit. Every believer should have discernment. And let me tell you how discernment increases. The more you pray, the more discernment you have. Your great, the greater your discernment. The greater your discernment. Especially the longer you pray in the spirit. You will just know things. You see, the language of discernment is knowing. You won't be able to explain, but you will just know. It might not come in a full picture, but there are times when you will just, you want to do something and you have a drawback. You might not be able to explain it, but that's discernment. That's discernment. <laughs> you know, I think it was last week Wednesday I showed us a scripture about Apostle Paul. He said every day they would go to the temple and there was this little girl that would prophesy after them and said, Beyond the servants of the Lord who have come to bring light to us. And that girl was demon possessed. The Bible says that every day she was following Apostle Paul. Paul looked at her and cast out that demon. It took discernment. You see, you can't just judge by what you are hearing. You know, someone that just hears that that doesn't have this sermon say, wow, little girl, full of the Holy Ghost. She even knows we are sent by God. But it simply means that demons can say the right things. And let me tell you this. Demons are intelligent. Because they are spirits. And spirits have been in existence. Demonic spirits have been in existence. Before your great, 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 they have a database of information to work with. So, they know the right things to influence people to say to you. So, if they are not smart in business, someone will come to you with a fantastic idea. It sounds so juicy. But if you put your money into it, you'll lose your shirt. That's why you need discernment. Being able to see beyond the printed lines. Or beyond the dotted lines. Being able to see beyond all those things. Being able to see beyond everything that looks attractive. As a single, being able to see beyond the hips, lips, and fingertips. 
<laughs> Being able to see beyond the beauty. You know, ah, this one, if I marry her, it's a problem. You need discernment. Are you hearing what I'm saying? As a married person, being able to have discernment that this person, if we get close to this person, this person will wreck our marriage. You need that discernment. Hmm. Apostle Paul said, I was reading the scripture sometimes last week, and I came across this scripture. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 32. Let's see. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 32. 1 Corinthians and verse 32. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 32. Let's read together. Apostle Paul was talking about, you know, his experience in the gospel. And look at what he said. He said, if after the manner of men, I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage jets it me? That's King James. <laughs> if the dead rise, rise not, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Alright. I don't want to go into the context because of time. But you see, the beast he was talking about here are not lions and bears. He was talking about human beings. And the only way he could describe those kind of people is by calling them beasts. Let me tell you this, there are beast-like men everywhere. People that if you are not strengthened enough, they will tear you apart. So Apostle Paul was saying, Paul was saying that in Ephesus, I fought with beasts. Now, I fought simply means past tense. And for him to still be alive to write this, it simply means he conquered the beasts. When the beast come after you in your marketplace, will you be able to also say, I fought with the beasts? You see, don't be deceived. The moment you begin to rise and people begin to congratulate you. Say, ah, we saw what you did. <laughs> you know, Apostle Paul also wrote in one of his letters. He says, not all men are faith. Not all men. My pastor's pastor was saying years ago, and since that time I, took, I got wisdom. You know, they used to have this program, or they still have that program every Thursday, 20 years ago. So he announced that particular day, you know, that they were going to minister somewhere, you know. And he was talking about his itinerary. Not knowing that there was someone in church who had a beef for him. And on his way leaving church, going to where he said he was going to go to, police opened fire at him. What they told the police, they described his car, and they said the person in that car is a thief. That they are robbers coming from the bank. It was God that saved his life. His protocol was short, but he, he didn't die. Discernment. Hmm. Somebody hearing what I'm saying? You know, Apostle Paul was praying in, in, in Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse one to two. He says, "Finally, my brethren, I think we should see it. Finally, my brethren. You know, this is midweek recharge, so we open a lot of scriptures. Let's see it. Second Thessalonians three, verse one to two. I hope you are noting the scriptures." I'm going to show us another scripture after this. It will blow your mind. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 from verse 1. It says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Verse 2. It says, And that will be delivered from what? Unreasonable and what? Wicked men. For all men have not faith. Some people are just unreasonable and wicked. And there is, see, there is nothing you can do about it. Paul wrote this hundreds of years ago or thousands of years ago. Those unreasonable and wicked men still exist. They still exist. <laughs> see, let me tell you this. The fact that you do things for people does not mean they cannot be wicked. You can employ someone and they are the ones that are the agents of wickedness. You are putting food on their table, but they might be the wicked and the unreasonable men. And Apostle Paul now went on for it. says, for not all men have faith. It simply means even among so-called church people. There might be people like that. So that's why he was trying to tell us that it is not everybody that has faith. The fact that his brother or bro, you know, these things are in levels. Those are deep, deeply, <laughs> deeply, deeply. Those ones are not brother, they are bro. He <laughs> says, not all of them have faith. Don't be deceived by the title. Not all the sisters and sis. And that's a deeper version of bro. Sis. He <laughs> says not all of them have faith. He says pray for us that we'll be delivered from these people. Let me show you the next one I wanted to show you. Acts 26. Hmm. Acts 26. And I think the latest slang now, one of the recent slang is I shook. Or is it I hook? I what? I shook. He shook. Huh? He, he what? He choke. Whatever. <laughs> you guys should be teaching me these things. Acts 26 so that I can also look. <laughs> Acts 26 verse 1 to 2. 
Acts 36 and verse 16. Let's start from verse 16. This one, it go choke you. <laughs> Acts 26 from verse 16. The Bible says, But rise and stand upon your feet. For I have appeared unto you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of these things which you have seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto you. Verse 17. It says, Delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom I now send you. Did you see what I want you to see? God told Paul, he said, I'm sending you to these people. He said, but at the same time, I want to deliver you from them. You don't understand? Odipo. So it's not everybody that God sends you to that you are helping that really loves you. God was telling Apostle Paul, he said, to deliver you. He says, I'm sending you, but also I'm delivering you from them. A pastor will be grossly deceived and a church leader to think everybody is leading, loves him. I'm not deceived by everybody that comes to the gateway love me. I'm not. I believe you love me. <laughs> but I'm not disillusioned. Because the Bible says, it says, to deliver you from the people and from the Gentiles. He knows that you need to deliver from them, but he says, now nah, I'm even sending you to them. So in that area of business, where God is sending you to, He's sending you to help people to meet needs, but you still need to be delivered from some of those people. That's why you need discernment. You need discernment to know the true, pe- the true people that should be helped and those that you need to be delivered from. Hmm. I hope you guys are getting this. Hmm. You see, number four step to take in fulfilling your calling, your marketplace calling, is expertise. Somebody say expertise. You can't fulfill your calling in the marketplace without expertise. What does that mean? You have to be the best at whatever it is you're doing. It's good to be deeply spiritual. It's important you have discernment. It is highly necessary you are totally dependent on God. But if you have all that, you are not an expert at your craft. You will still not fulfill your call. You will still not fulfill your call. That's why I have little or no respect for people who are still praying when they should be walking. No. You don't leave one for the other. <laughs> How did David get access into the palace the first time? How? Because he was skillful in playing the harp. He was an expert at doing that. How did Joseph get access into Pharaoh's presence? Because he was an expert at interpreting dreams. How did he sustain his presence before Pharaoh? By being an expert at administration and management. Because Pharaoh did not call him to give him solution. He called him to tell him the problem. Right? He said he had a dream. What's the dream? Oh, there's going to be crisis. There's going to be a famine. But every other person would have stopped there. That's king. Let's pray. That's not what Joseph said. Joseph said, this is what you're going to do. That's not what the king asked him. It simply means it went beyond the call of duty. He said, you know what? In the seven years of plenty, let's save 20%. Let's save 20%. Let's save 20%. For seven years, let's create bands. Let's create storage facilities. And store everything there. So that after the seven years of plenty ends, there will be so much more to feed people for seven years. Because the law of compound interest would have set in. And Pharaoh said, who else is going to do this? All these guys around me, they don't have enough sense to think this of. Just take over. Let me tell you, nobody cares about your belief, your this, your that, if you are an expert at what you do. On the long haul, if you are the only one that can do what you can do, and that thing that you can do is something that is really needed, everybody will come to you. Pharaoh was a deeply occultic man. He himself was a god. Pharaohs were considered gods, not even spiritual men. They were gods. They were worshipped. He knew this guy was a Jewish guy, but he said, be the next person after me. It means that that Pharaoh didn't care what Pharaoh didn't care whether they believed in different, whether he was going to worship God with him. You know what? Just is going to leave their finger in the whole land, except by your word and decree. Expertise. That's the problem of the average believer. We are not good at what to do. We can pray. Some people, if you hear their tongues, like machine gun. Even angels are intimidated. <laughs> but on the job, they are mediocres. A Christian carpenter makes a chair. They are supposed to have four legs. One is not touching the ground. He's rocking side to side. 
with all the tongues. It must be a fake tongue. Because if you are speaking the right tongue, the Holy Spirit will tell you that chair, the leg is not touching the ground. Somebody can fall off it. I strongly believe, I may be wrong, but I believe I'm right. That the only ghost many Nigerian Christians have is not the original one. I want to believe that. Because when you see what the average person does, and somebody will just leave church, the way they will even drive off, I know that doesn't happen in Gateway. <laughs> or maybe one of these days I should go to the car park and see how you guys are driving. You'll be wondering, this person just left service. Ah, no, no, no. What is, ah, you'll be wondering, do they want, if this person moves now, will the road fold after his car? <laughs> it must not be original Holy Ghost. <laughs> not if it's the original one, something will tell you, Oga, calm down. The road is not going anywhere. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Expertise is very critical in the fulfillment of your calling. In the fulfillment of your calling. And one of the reasons why a lot of people, especially in this age and time, never develop expertise on their craft or in their craft is because we live in a time and a generation where people up from place to place. People don't stay for long with something. And there is a research, it's called the law of seven. It says it takes minimum of seven years for you to be an expert at something. That is, you do something. Not that you do it, you go, you come back. You know, say I've been doing it for seven years. That is, you stay with it for seven years. Non-stop. Keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. By the time you do it for seven years, the same thing, you become an expert. Even if they wake you in your sleep, while you are still sleeping, you'll be able to do it. But many people just keep jumping from place to place. Jumping from place to place. At the sixth year, you now come back. You now say, I spent seven years. No. You are even actually starting all over again. Because you realize that when you come back, the world has left where you left it. Expertise. Number five, you need to have a calling consciousness. You need to have a calling consciousness. If you are going to fulfill your call, whether it's your kingdom call, whether it's the marketplace call, you must have a calling consciousness. You must have a calling consciousness. What does that mean? You must be obsessed with the fact that there is a call upon my life. That as a believer, I'm not just on this earth to live like every other person. I'm on this earth to fulfill a kingdom call and to fulfill a marketplace call. That consciousness must be there. That consciousness must be there. Hmm. That consciousness must be there. And you see, the reason a lot of people don't have that consciousness, sometimes is because of the crowds they relate with. Another reason sometimes is because a lot of people are obsessed with what to eat, what to drink. You know, that's why Jesus said in Matthew 6. He says that these are the things that the Gentiles seek after. He says, don't be obsessed with these things. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and every other thing will be added unto you. He says, one of the descriptions God gave himself, Father. There is no good father that abandons his child. None. And what God is saying is that if you will see me as your father, and if you prioritize the things that matter to me, I will take care of you. Many of us have not gotten to that level of trust. We believe somewhere at the back of our mind, you see, the reason why we don't prioritize God and the things that have to do with God is because somewhere at the back of our mind, we still don't believe God loves us. We still don't believe He cares enough for us. And that's why we try to, you know, whether it is the right way or not, we just want to do things to get money by all means. Because we are not convinced that God can take care of me. Why do people in the name of, you know, I need to break through, I need to succeed. Do a lot of shady things and still have the gods to come to church to give testimony. Because they don't believe God can take care of them. That's what it means. Because if I don't believe someone has the capacity or the willingness to do something for me, I'm going to look for another alternative, isn't it? But if I know that this person has the capacity to do this, and not just that he has the capacity, he's willing to do it, I'm going to wait on that person. So if I fix an appointment with you, if you don't believe I'm a person of my words, and if it seems, if I tell you 6 p.m. and it's 6.05 or 6.10, you know you can just walk away from that appointment. That I'm not sure pastor is coming. If you don't think I'm going to make that appointment. But if you know that, no, pastor gave me 6 p.m. and he said he's going to be here. Maybe he's stuck in traffic. No, pastor can't just forget. He's the one that told me to come for 6 p.m. Do you understand what I'm saying? But if you don't believe in my words enough, just... Pastor is, pastor is so busy, doesn't have time for people like me. You just leave. 
That's the way many of us relate with God. You see, many of us don't have a problem with believing in God's ability. What we have a problem with, what we are dealing with is willingness. We know God is able, but we are not sure he's willing. You know, there are two different things. A man can be able, you know, ah, God. God can do all things. You know, if you ask people, can God make somebody a billionaire of anything? Eh? God can, I can serve him. He can do anything. But do you believe God can make you a billionaire? Oh. It's only God that does. So, you believe he can do it, but you are not sure he can do it for you. It's about willingness. What most people are dealing with is not a question of ability. It's a question of the willingness of God. And it's because we have not come to that knowledge of the love of the Father that He cares. You see, that's why one of the things God loves to be called is Father. It's Father. It's not, you see, He's the God of the whole earth, but He's not the Father to everyone. He's not the Father to everyone. Tonight, I want us to bow down our head. I want us to bow down our head and begin to talk to God. Talk to Him tonight. Ask Him to give you the grace to stay in a state of consciousness. Of that which he wants you to do. There is something he wants you and I to do. There is something he has called you and I to do. For his kingdom and in the marketplace. Ask him to reveal himself to you. Ask him to make himself known to you. Somebody talk to him tonight. Talk to him tonight. Talk to him tonight. Talk to him tonight. tonight.